<laughs> hey everybody, hey, hey, we're back. Everybody. Welcome to the Good Writing Podcast, where two MFA friends talk writing craft. Absolutely, and today we talk about an excerpt from Frank Herbert's Dune and third-person omniscience. And if you're wondering if we think it's good or bad, um, it, we, we, pro we mostly think it's bad. I, I think there are interesting things in Dune, but Dune has a lot of problems. <laughs> what Ben said, I don't want to get flamed <laughs> online by nerds, so I won't expand here. Yeah, <laughs> listen up, nerds. Be nice to us. <laughs> Full episode for more details, but that's a sufficient yeah. summary. If you're Welcome a nerd that wants to get real mad. <laughs> Welcome back. Enjoy, everybody. Enjoy. <laughs> Yeah. The email you sent me when you attached these 10 pages of Dune, mm -hmm. I read this email and I thought to myself, is my friend 67 years old? What are you doing? <laughs> Saying, sit from my iPhone, stand by TurboScan, and then you misspelled Dune in the subject line. You're like, yeah. done, 10 pages. I was like, <laughs> Your life. <laughs> I, I, I realized that I had not sent you the reading until an hour before we were supposed to record, so I was working very quickly. Yeah, <laughs> you sure did get the job done with your diagonal yeah. scan. Like, the yeah, pages it's were way awful looking. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I subjected you to this. My iPhone. <laughs> my, iPhone was my age. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going through and deleting all the crap. I wasn't trying to make it look like anything. Thing. I was just like, let's get just get this going. She needs. It's a, I need her to read these ten pages so we can record the cast get and talk her about these this ten pages. So help me. <laughs> exactly. Talk about this very weird book. Um, and we, we can get into that in a second. But welcome to Good Writing. Hey, uh, <laughs> welcome back to the Good Writing Podcast from your co-hosts who have posted consistently and have never made a mistake. Exactly. <laughs> oh, also, hi, Emily. Um, hey, Ben, what's going on? <laughs> not too much, not too much. It's been a minute. It's been a minute since we've been on the pod. We're playing fast and loose with the rules and with our PDF scans. Um, <laughs> too fast, too loose? <laughs> yeah, no, not fast and loose enough. My favorite part was that I, real, I realized I had misspelled Dune as done, and I was like, I'm not changing that. That's just good. <laughs> he committed. Committed to the bit, and I... Yeah. I hear I am here to bear witness only. Um, yeah. Well, heck of a good heck of a ten pages of done. Um, mm -hmm. Before we get into that, yeah. uh, Ben, how has writing been since we last recorded? It has been a little bit. So that thing we said we were going to do last episode of spending twenty dollars on ourselves for writing stuff. I, I did that. I, I bought a set of pens and a small uh, pocket notebook that I took with me on a on the trip that I was just telling you about. Um, that nice. I, I was gone for a week in Canada. And I um, went out there and I took that with me and I did a little writing. I did some handwriting. Um, and I did, did some drafting that I need to type up and figure out where it's going. Cause it's still extremely loose. It's very sketchy at this point, but there's like a kernel of an idea there that I feel I can work on, so. It's something as the workshop critics would say, there's something in here, uh, mm -hmm. which is a polite way of saying, and you're not doing it right yet. Um, <laughs> so, how did you like writing by hand? Because that's not your usual process. Um, I realized the reason that I don't like it very much um, oh. is because my handwriting is very bad. Um, <laughs> I, I have very ugly handwriting that I don't like looking at. It's very scratchy, and it's kind of hard for me to read sometimes, so I can't quite tell what I was trying to say at times when I go back and read things. Um, I, I have a very fast cursive, um, and this was also written mostly on a moving vehicle. I was on a train for a long time out there, so it's a little. It also has the added shakiness of just occasionally hitting bumps, kind of thing. Um, yeah. So, it, and a, a thing is when I read things in my own handwriting, and I'm so distracted by how unattractive my handwriting is, like I think the things that I've written are worse than they actually are than if I'm typing them up. <laughs> like, yeah. So why did you go with the pens and a pocket notebook instead of just bringing your laptop on the trip? 
Uh, mainly because of space that I would have available to me to work kind of thing. Um, I did have my computer with me, but that the backpack that I had it in was too large to be taking on the train and like putting comfortably under the seat in front of me uh, on the train that I was on for many hours a day kind of thing. So it, it made more sense for me to use the um, notebook. And also I thought I want to try something different to see if it produces something different in the writing itself. Like if I'm going to approach this differently because I'm handwriting it rather than trying to type it out. Cool. Um, and what's yeah. the uh, conclusion on what's your content different Um the different medium? I think in some ways it was. I, I think that by having the strange kind of stopgap of the uh, shorter lines on the page, because it was a very small notebook, um, I, I think I wrote shorter sentences as a result of that, which was kind of an interesting thing, like j just to make things fit a little bit better. At least that that's when I was reading it back over, it seemed like that's what was going on. Mm -hmm. um, but it was never, it, it was like content wise, it was still just like the kind of thing that I would write because it's an idea that I had uh, come up with before I left actually. And I was like, okay, I'm going to start writing that idea and seeing where that goes. But cool. yeah, yeah, it, it was a little different. So yeah, that's how writing has been. How about for you, Emily? Cool. Uh, it's been fine. I'm not the most productive, but I did spend the 20 or more dollars that we talked about mm -hmm. on the previous episode. Mm -hmm. So. What I did, I live in Denver, as longtime listeners may recall, longtime listeners and virtual stalkers may recall that I live in Denver. <laughs> There's an organization in Denver called the Lighthouse Writers Workshop. Um, mm. One of our MFA friends, Kathleen the Poet, um, had been recommending Lighthouse events to me for forever, and I had just never freaking Googled them. I should have before. It was awesome. They had Melissa Fabos, who we've talked about on the pod before. Mm -hmm. Um, she was visiting as a uh, uh, one of the, the writers leading week-long workshops. Um, I did not sign up in time to do the week-long workshop, but I did catch her in time to play hooky from work for an <laughs> afternoon. And I went to her like one afternoon, few hours long craft seminar, which was awesome. So um, I had never been at a seminar like this before. A previous okay. episode, our, our episode where we brought on my friend JP Hurley, um, he talked about doing some really, really useful craft seminars like this. So I really mm. had JP, JP in mind when I finally was like, no, yeah, I definitely want to spend money on this and skip work for this. Um, Hell yeah. So I got to got to see and take a little workshop from a writer who I really admire, Melissa, Melissa Favos, yeah. which was awesome. Mm -hmm. And I, um, it was um, writing during the workshop and then like some mm -hmm. like lecture philosophy and, and sharing of, of what people had written. Cool. Um, it was really productive for me and made me think differently and nice. um shit yeah right, so yeah you gotta so look yeah, at well, your local writer events yeah uh, so what what were some takeaways that you had what what was she talking about did she have like a specific theme she was trying to tackle yeah she was talking about writing about sex in a Ooh. like non-fiction personal memoir style mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. writing about sex um and I think I will save, I wrote down all of her, you know, I'm a nerd and a type A and recovering mm -hmm. um, perfectionist. <laughs> so I obviously wrote down all of her um, exercises here. I think Ooh. been to compensate for a skipping a couple of weeks. I might, mm. maybe we could do like a bonus episode or something and release, release these exercises early. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. So I will save them. I won't share them on the pod, but the uh, type of exercise that was really eye-opening for me that I want to talk about, like not specifically about sex. Um, this is a spoiler if we do do a separate episode on her exercises, mm -hmm. like skip the next minute of me talking. Um, <laughs> I really enjoyed she did these exercises where she said, write like your personal experience with whatever subject matter in three sentences. And then she gave us a few minutes to do that. And then she did a follow-up ex exercise of write your personal experience with this subject matter in three completely different sentences. Do not repeat any content, any subject. Um, yeah, and then finally a third exercise of like write it in one new sentence. And mm -hmm. she uses this as an example of like talking about how um, digging deeper, like writing about the same subject multiple times, writing from it, writing about it in a totally new way you might get past what you think the story should be and get to something much more interesting and new. Mm, that's cool. Oh, yeah. yeah, so in the context of writing about like sex in 
not personal nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like a really, really useful exercise in like not writing about your sex life in the way that you think it ought to be or mm-hmm. the way that like culture, dominant culture has told you it ought to be, but like mm-hmm. really like opening up to like, okay, do something new, like do it original. Um, mm-hmm. Don't say, say the story the same way that you've been telling it for years. Yeah. The, the classic rule of writing, right? Like fi- find that kernel of what makes it its own thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, so did you, um, did she read anything that you wrote during that? Or did she react to anything that you wrote during the, the oh workshop? Oh my God. I'm like, I was like, I don't want to, Melissa Famous is so pretty. I can't do this. Um, <laughs> so I was unfortunately, cause again, I'm a keener. I sat in the front row and so I was like drafted to participate, but I was mm. like in a row. She was just like going microphone, going down the line, you know? So okay. like, it wasn't yeah, a long yeah. reaction. Um, yeah. 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 Awesome. Yeah. It was oh, really congrats, fun. Dude. I'm really glad I did it. And um, JP was right. Look up craft seminars with writers who you know. Um, if you're if you're not if you live in Denver, check out the Lighthouse Writers Workshop. If you don't happen to live in my city, um, tons of other organizations in your city or like writers tend to be very online, especially on Twitter, and they usually promote their own events. So mm-hmm. that is uh, JP was right. Good thing to look up. Yeah. All right. Hell yeah. That sounds fantastic. I'm glad I'm glad you got to do that. That rules. <laughs> yeah. I was I was really happy. Um really happy with it. Good. Good. All right. Um, I forget how we do this show. Do we want to talk about the book now? How do we do this show? Let's go into it. <laughs> let's get let's get into this book. Now, some of you when you heard that we were going to be talking about Dune may have thought, "Dune, this podcast is called Good Writing." Dune is written badly. Um, and it, it is. It is a badly written book. It has some very interesting things in it. It's a badly written book. But I, I, I wanted to talk about... This is just a great jumping off point to talk about the weird perspective that is third-person omniscient. Okay. Third-person omniscient is, I think, one of the strangest things a writer can choose to do because it's impossible to do it well. Um, and I just kind of want to get into, and maybe there is a way to do it well. I don't, I don't know if I've ever read it. Like, and I wanted to kind of just ask you before we even get into this, do you, have you read anything in third person omniscient? Cause reading Dune, I realized like, I, nothing is written this way. Like nothing is. Yeah. I had not, I've, I had tried to read, listen to the audiobook of Dune like a couple of years ago and it just didn't mm-hmm. translate to the audiobook. It didn't work out. Um, and I, so I had really not really touched Dune, and I, as mm-hmm. I was, bef- when you said we're talking about third-person omniscient, I thought to myself, like, oh, well, you know, like, Jane Austen does some, you know, like, jumping okay. between multiple characters, the point of view character doesn't necessarily, the protagonist isn't necessarily in every single scene, but mm-hmm. then I, so I started to think to myself, like, oh, I think I've heard, you know, I've seen third-person not limited, so, mm-hmm. like, but then when I read this section of Dune, I thought to myself, like, no, nobody does this. Like, I've not seen this. This it's, is weird and different. It's it's third-person omniscient in the way that you will just read a character's thoughts so that he does not have to show you... He does not have to do any actual emotional building in the scene whatsoever. Like... Yeah, it felt... Okay, I'm, I'm kind of relieved, because as I was reading it just now, I was thinking to myself, like, I mean, is this internal thoughts as exposition like is he going into characters heads as the exposition of just to explain what's happening in the scene right now Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he really does do that like he'll do a thing also where he'll use a he'll have a character say something and then another character will think the opposite of that just so you know those two characters don't agree with each other like it, it's it's very weird or it'll 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 be like an attempt at like a very like supposed to be poignant turn of phrase it, it'll be like someone will say out loud i i hope that the baron harkonnen doesn't find out and then they'll immediately cut to the baron harkonnen's thoughts of and i've always known exactly what that character just said was true <laughs> like to, to like make it more ominous i i guess like and and okay i will also say that i on this trip read the entirety of dune i read the whole thing and had a really good time reading it. I really liked this book, and despite the fact that the the writing itself is 
very, very weird. I liked it for the same reason that other people talk about liking it, is that it has a very interesting world. All of the religious stuff is really cool, and the way he kind of deals with time travel later on is very interesting. But that's all just, like, high concept, just kind of enjoying genre tropes. Like, that's definitely not the prose itself that's attracting me in. But the entire time, I couldn't stop thinking about this third-person omniscience and how it... and the ways that he would use it to work around writing a doing something difficult is much easier if you can just jump into any character's head like d displaying a difficult emotional setting which is why i chose this scene which is from the early like for basically the end of the fourth fourth first quarter of the book is a um moment where uh the the duke leto is having a party essentially uh, with all of his, the various you know political high-minded people on the on the, the desert planet arrakis and he's having this party and it's this very complicated political moment like the dynastic thing of what's going on right now and the ways that all of these characters are attempting to navigate this party as both a dinner party but the underlying like aspect of them trying to figure out where everyone else stands in relation to each other as far as like power alliances go mm -hmm. is like kind of a very complex part of this scene and instead of trying to show that entirely through things that characters do and say uh frank herbert just kind of skips that part and just shows you what they're thinking so that you don't actually have to show anything difficult like yeah okay i'm relieved that you started by indicating that you didn't think this was good writing because sometimes mm -hmm. when you bring something in and i'm like yeah. ben i disagree with this craft choice yeah. you like actually yeah. really support it so yeah. super relieved gotta be a little less filtered than i normally would be on the, on yeah. the show but please i don't like it um it's, yeah that's fair <laughs> it comes across as like it's just it's avoiding creating the moments the small moments that show mm -hmm. rather than tell. Yeah, and yeah. And so it makes this scene a lot less memorable to me. Oh, oh like, yeah. Like those small moments where you like really see why something is is like political intrigue or like you really mm -hmm. like feel rewarded for noticing that that's actually a very like craftily, wittily phrased dig at the other character. Like mm -hmm. those moments can be really rewarding and to just mm -hmm. like, jump into like jessica's head where she's like ex truly explaining the dynamics mm -hmm. um, it 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 makes it less it takes away some opportunities for really magic moments you know yeah absolutely like i i think your choice of saying that the taking away the small moments there's nothing small in this book everything is huge Everything is the most dramatic moment. Everything is the most heightened experience. Everything is just the absolute, like, level 10 version of itself, and it never comes down. It, it, it doesn't have the ability to. Like, it, it doesn't go there. But I think what's interesting uh, about how this all works, and, uh, and I'm saying interesting and not because I think it's intellectually interesting, and once again, completely agree, not well written um definitely like lose it has a lot of opportunities to lose the audience is that frank herbert as a writer was able to construct an incredibly complicated book an incredibly like intricate book like really are there there is like there's a lot going on and it's all thought out while also having that book come across on the simplest level that it possibly can like it, it's incredibly easy to read this book like sure maybe you're not super consumed in the scene like unless you're really buying in like I, I dropped i had a lot of suspension of disbelief and a big thing that helped me honestly is having seen the movie before so i could imagine what the actors looked like and what the sets looked like so that i could say oh i'm here now okay <laughs> like yeah which is not a high compliment by any means <laughs> um but like it having access to that but it allows him to produce this work that is simultaneously incredibly complex and intricate with a really dumb presentation, for lack of a better word. Like... <laughs> Y'all know that I love accessibility. You mm -hmm. know? Like, this is dumb presentation or unchallenging, like not mm -hmm. making the reader work to understand the scene that does make it more accessible. 
Mm -hmm. lots. Some, something in the pros column here on our pros and cons sheet. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> so what? So, so this scene specifically is you're saying comp like a truly complicated scene presented in like a very fast and easy to consume way. Mm -hmm. um, what is it? What 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 moment in this scene m makes you like really dial in? Okay. I mean, dial in, like, let's see. What it, It's interesting to use that because, like, it's like, when did I dial in? I, I kind of dialed in on page one when I just told myself that I was going to like Dune this time that I read it. And I, I was stuck on a train for 10 hours a day and had, like, little else to do other than read. And so, I, you know, I can drink beer and read this book at the same time. And that, you know, that it, it did it. I, I, I could also uh, take a perfectly legal in Canada. Uh, it, I could eat gummies and also still be able to read. And it's very rare that I can be high and read at the same time. Yeah, because um, you read yeah. really inaccessible books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you read thinkers, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and reading light fare, generally speaking. I, I think what makes me dial into this, though, legitimately, is the intricacy of the scene. It is the way that it's like, there. I think that there is something, and this might also just be a taste thing personally, that I was like, I, I think he presents a world in which human beings, uh, or the world that he creates, it's not even like an aspect of the world, but it's just kind of a thing that falls out of it. Uh, the human beings in this are so bound up in their destinies and, and for the sake of their honors that they like, basically just like kill themselves for it like nobody barely ever in this book does anyone seem to get what they want like they're always just being forced into yet another situation that is just kind of like the cosmic hand guiding them and all they can do is kind of like lie flat underneath it and allow it to wash over them and fulfill the and fulfill themselves as the universe wants them to or they can try to resist and when they try to resist they seem to just die like it's there are only like fate plays such a large role in this and i just kind of like all of that stuff brought me in but like on a line level kind of nothing man like he'd, he'd have a good sentence or two like once a chapter kind of thing the most interesting writing in it is that at the beginning of each chapter there are these little prescripts that are like uh, quotes from a book written by another character that's not present in the novel that's kind of like the history of the world and the reason that those are the most interesting thing is because they're purely world building a lot of the time you know it'll be saying something about how the sandworms live or how the fremen survive in the desert and it's like those little bits of tone setting and scene setting are extremely interesting Anytime characters start talking, it's like some of the worst garbage you've ever read in your life. Like, Can I just give a little sample here. Of yeah, this please. Cool. Please. So this is page 224 of Dune. What is this dish? It's delicious. Tongues of wild rabbit in a special sauce, she said. A very old recipe. I must have that recipe, the man said. She nodded. I'll see that you get it. <laughs> Girl, what does this mean? Like, why bother <laughs> making this dialogue? This has no... There's no, like, spark between the characters. There's mm -hmm. not... I'm not getting any context in why this recipe matters. Like, mm -hmm. is it a political dynamic that this guy's trying to, like, schmooze to, to Jessica? It's that. Like, it's that, for sure. But, yeah. Okay, why did... I, I feel like I made that up, you know? Like, I don't <laughs> feel like the reading led me to that yeah. conclusion. Oh, don't worry. It doesn't lead you there. The only reason I know that is because on another page, it just says that. Like, yeah. Jessica thinks that at one point. He's doing this because he's trying to schmooze me. Like, it is basically the moment. Like, it just <laughs> tell. Like, and that's like, what's interesting about it, right? Is that like, it does, it does all of those things, but it just does, it. it's the reason why it's 800 pages long is because he's just putting everything on the outside. Like, there's no subtext. He doesn't leave room for it. It's <laughs> like, so inefficient. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So inefficient. <laughs> like the, the general principle of like, a lot should be left well, you know, rules, okay, anytime I, anytime I philosophize on general craft advice to Ben, I'm like, reel it in, take 10% off, squirrely Dan. Mm -hmm. um, one 
line of thinking about good writing, not the line of thinking, but one belief about good writing is that a lot should be, it should always feel like there's a lot more left unsaid, right? Mm -hmm. You should feel like you're getting the tip of the iceberg, right? So when someone says something out loud, you feel like, oh, what they're saying out loud is 10% of the iceberg, but like my imagination, I can fill in the blanks and feel like I'm getting a lot more out of this and can, can interpret a lot more than is necessarily on the page. Mm-hmm. This man is putting everything on the page. <laughs> There's only the page. That's all there is. Yeah. What? <laughs> I, I, I never want to do it myself. I wouldn't suggest that anyone else do the same thing because also I think that only this can only happen once, right? Like you, you can only do it in this book and no one can ever repeat this, right? Because it's... If someone tries to write a book in the style of Frank Herbert, everyone else is just going to be like, this is trash. What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> you know. Ben, why did you bring this on to the Good Writing Podcast? Where are we going? I, just because I think what Dune is is an interesting failure. That, And I think that there's a lot to be said for that in any work of art. Something that does not achieve its goals but has really high ambition like that that's something i like a lot mainly in the realm of video games is where i find that sort of thing i I find myself interfacing with stuff like that the most Mm -hmm. but and i think this book exemplifies that as well of someone with really high aspirations some of which he does kind of achieve like like i said there's this very interesting stuff about kind of the religion of the fremen and the character of paul as this reluctant messiah figure that is this very kind of interesting on like a philosophical level sort of thing. Like I think he had a really good idea there and it and it comes across. You can see what he's trying to do with it in the book. I, I think there's also moments later on where Paul is kind of like looking into the many possible futures he could inhabit and kind of finding ways to defy fate or accept fate. Um, and, and that stuff is very, is interesting on that level I was talking about earlier. but. I think ultimately what makes this book most interesting is that while it does succeed at doing those things, it fails at so much else that it's trying to do. Like, say, write a compelling or interesting... No one's deep. Like, no one's anything more than they say they are because you can literally read their thoughts. Um, but And I think that there needs to be examination of ambitious failures for to understand why they failed and, and, why they're, and where their ambition stood, right? Like, okay. Yes. Only agreed about ambitious failures and mm-hmm. putting a pin in that. Want to want to dive into something else you said? Mm-hmm. The characters feel shallow because we already get to read all of their thoughts. Mm-hmm. We are as we're going, we're getting multiple characters' takes on what they think is happening in this situation, mm-hmm. um, and it's making the characters feel like they have less depth and aren't less complicated than mm-hmm. we might think that they are if we don't know what their mm-hmm. intentions are verbatim and mm-hmm. what verbatim they're interpreting is happening in the scene. That's kind of paradoxical. Like the more mm-hmm. interior to the character's thinking we are, yeah. the shallower yeah. the character feels. Yeah, right? Isn't that strange? Like, it, it's, and part of it comes because like, everything is only in service of the plot. Right? Like, Dune is a book that is written in its plot. And and anything that Interior we're getting, like, you mentioned earlier, like, are we getting exposition in this person's thoughts? And it's like, yes, you are. You're getting exposition literally all the time. Most of the book is expository. Honestly, can I read an example? (laughs) Yeah, please. (laughs) Okay, this is page 218, Jessica. Okay, the Duke says... Let the dinner commence, and he sinks into his chair. And Jessica thinks, he's angry and uncertain. The loss of that factor crawler hit him more deeply than it should have. It must be something more than that loss. He acts like a desperate man. Why not? He is desperate. What? Okay. This feels so shallow to me, but it's... Mm -hmm. It's a little counterintuitive that I want to dig into why this makes both of these characters feel less interesting and less real to me. Yes. Yeah. Because please. it does. Yeah. It, like being told what a character is thinking, what the character's motivation, being told that rather than shown that makes me mm-hmm. think their motivation is less interesting, less yeah. complicated. Um, 
okay, okay, okay. Why do I hate this? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's because it doesn't, like, why is Jessica, why does she give a shit about, like, the, the, why is, who does this? Who notices? He's angry and uncertain. He's more deeply impacted by this financial loss than he thought. And he acts like a desperate man. Who thinks that about, like, why would someone think that about, I, do, I just like not sold that this is realistic mm-hmm. behavior, believable behavior from oh. her for any reason other than explaining the plot to the reader. Well, I mean, the reason that, it's that, that she is that way is because she is part of an ancient order of witches that try to, you know, control the fate of the universe. So everything that happens is of some importance to her. But like, that's not a real reason also. You know, like, that that's not, the, I agree with you, like, the reason I think that it shallows out is because you're not, it, you know, we're just getting analysis, it's all facts, right? Everything that's being stated is a fact, nothing is being given any sort of, like, tenor beyond its existence within the plot structure. Like, the book is just constantly reminding you of what's happening in the book, and trying to make sure to keep you as the reader on track with this like grand vision that Frank Herbert is trying to put down. Like, why am I so uncooperative? If, if, if an author is like, you are coming along on this plot, gosh darn it. I'm like, I don't want to anymore. Like, because <laughs> well, it's kind of boring, right? To do something like that, to leave no room for the reader. This book leaves no room for the reader whatsoever. Like your, your thoughts are irrelevant. You're here to read what Frank Herbert wrote. He doesn't give a shit about you. Like take on what's happening. There's no like, and then even Jessica's thoughts in this example, there's no like, uh, there's no room for difference of opinion or uncertainty in her analysis, yeah. right? She, she, yeah. she isn't thinking to herself, huh? She's not thinking something like artful metaphor mm-hmm. here, first of all. She's not thinking mm-hmm. like this, this Duke sitting up, sitting down for a, hosting a fancy dinner when he's taken a personal financial loss is like, she's not making yes. any like observations about that. Mm-hmm. And the Duke is her husband also. Like, oh, did to remember. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> how would you know that? They, they give nothing to each other. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's... <laughs> <laughs> and the book constantly talks about how they love each other. It says that all the time. Like, kind of show it at some point. Yeah. I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Agreed. Okay. That was a doozy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going back to this doesn't feel believable, you know? Yeah. Like, I believe you that, that, like, there's, like, some supernatural reason why she would care, yeah. but, like, yeah. she has no personality but along whatever. with that supernatural reason. You know, like, there's... Yeah. What would make Jessica different from any of the other witches in that order? Like, she it, she, she doesn't... She doesn't but, like, explain what's happening. Yeah, here's the bit. She's not... The, the, it's so weird that you said something that was basically like, um, you know, what reason would they have to act this way to each other? What reason would they have, like, or, or something about, like, how they um, are, are just kind of stating these facts and there's this, like, factual element to all of this, like, and they um, bring in the reasoning behind all that is that it's, you know, all of these characters are also perfect super geniuses who can never be wrong about anything. Like, that's, that's like a character trait of multiple characters in the book. Like, <laughs> like it's not fucking interesting. Like, no, <laughs> even, even like Marvel stories, the, the good Marvel movies are about when the it's, character gets tricked or is mistaken it's, or it's about know. like a person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're not about super geniuses who are never wrong and never make any mistakes and have no faults like they're yeah the better superhero movies most of the superhero movies are grounded in the character having some kind of faults that they're looking to solve and improve upon yeah yeah absolutely like i don't know i i just like this was my third time trying to read this book because i'm just like you know i'd picked it up like a couple of times just gotten 100 pages in and then put it down 
and then this time it stuck like i was just in the right spot for it kind of thing like and i found it fun to read but like i i completely agree like i think i'm having like a similar question about this that you had about lord of the rings and lord of the rings is has better writing than this book does like 100 percent. i'm not trying to equate the two on that level um, but I remember when we were talking about it, like, it, it was a thing where you were just kind of, like, unsure of why you had this buy-in on this very long-winded yeah. book. Like, so yeah. Meandering. Yeah. Interesting in its own manner. Yeah. But, like, not efficient. <laughs> like, it's... Yeah. The, uh, the books do not cut to the fight scenes. Even, no. Like, <laughs> to put it mildly. <laughs> exactly. And it's, and it's weird because this book does a similar thing in that it's very long, and, and, but it's not meandering. Everything is specific. Everything is, like, supposed to be relevant to this grander design that the, of, like, fate that it's going to. It's long and, like, I'd say a lot of it kind of is pointless at the end of the day. There are definitely some scenes that go nowhere. And I, I did not show you the love scene between Paul and his, um, and the woman that he ends up with at the end of the book, because it's one of the worst things I've ever read in my life. But <laughs> it's, it's one page long. And it's, and it's claims that they made tender love, I believe, is how it was described. Tenderize it with a meat hammer. Yeah. Um, very happy for them. Yeah. Um. So in what circumstances could you potentially see this kind of third person omniscient inside multiple characters' heads. Where could you see that working? Um, the only other version of this that I can think of right now where I could see this working is, I'm kind of reminded of, just thinking more about it, Miss Dalloway. Mrs. Dalloway uh, mm. by Virginia Woolf has an, an absolutely wild third person camera that just jumps between characters' heads at will. And it's an incredibly cool book because of it. Like, that, that is one of the most interesting books I've ever read in my life. Very, very good. Um, it, and it does a similar thing of, like, showing you characters' thoughts at different times. But the reason that it works is that all the characters have different voices. All of them think differently. And you can say in that book they think thoughts. They don't think sentences like they do here. Yes. <laughs> yes. Actually, there's an example from another Virginia Woolf book, mm -hmm. Orlando, that mm. I think is really relevant to a model of third-person omniscient working well. Um, mm -hmm. Be right back. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> In bad news, I lost my copy mm -hmm. of Orlando. Oh no, um, But I do remember the scene pretty well. Okay. <laughs> and I think I wrote an essay on it in school, so I'm gonna see if I can find my essay on, if I like quote okay. at length in that essay. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Um, I have to confess, I haven't read Mrs. Dalloway. Oh, okay, that's fine. It, it's a good, I haven't read Orlando, so yeah. Mrs. Dalloway has been on the list for a long time, but. yeah. Wow, I, uh... Okay, great. So, Orlando by Virginia Woolf is about a character named Orlando who changes sex about halfway through the story. Okay. So Orlando starts as, um... Actually, I've totally forgotten. Orlando starts, I think, as a man and then as a, as a boy, grows up in a noble family, changes mm -hmm. sex in the second half of the novel is mm -hmm. uh, female. Like, mm -hmm. magical realism changes sex. Um, mm -hmm. And Virginia Woolf just, I think, does multiple, gets into multiple characters' heads because it's fun for her, and her style yeah. is very consistent in between her books. But in yeah. Orlando in particular, and in the scene where we discover that Orlando's sex has changed, mm -hmm. is a really strong example of like a way to use third-person omniscient where you jump into multiple characters' heads really effectively. Mm -hmm. So nobody has ever known exactly what took place the night that Orlando's sex changes, the narr narrator claims. Um, actually, we go into the head of a distant source to discover it. So a washerwoman who was kept away by a toothache who happened to see Orlando on his balcony earlier that night is the one who corroborates, like, 
the sex mm-hmm. changed from the night. Okay, interesting, yeah. Um, and then there is, a, like, a narrator character as well who is pretty voicey, and the narrator character gives, like, all these quibbles about, like, hey, man, just telling you what happened. Mm-hmm. I didn't make it up, you know? <laughs> and I think, like, Orlando was Virginia Woolf's most popular book, um, okay. best-selling book. And mm-hmm. I think, like, the reason that contemporary audiences in, in her era were, like, willing to read about a sex change um, mm-hmm. is because of how she delivers it. So it's, okay. like, delivered at a distance. It's not, like, full-throated, you know close mm-hmm. in Orlando's head. It's the narrator is mm-hmm. creating some distance with all these disclaimers. And then we're going mm-hmm. into the perspective of like a truly random lady, like is yeah. the one who like, Someone you've like Orlando. never really seen before in the book kind of thing. Yeah, literally or... basically okay. a passerby yeah. who like happens okay. to see him out the window. Um, okay. Yeah. So I think like there are Virginia Woolf actually is probably a really good example of like other ways to do mul- going into multiple characters heads, but it's, when she does it successfully, she's doing it to be coy, to create distance mm-hmm. from the material, mm-hmm. to deliver to li- deliver the info from like a character who is an ironic, unexpected choice. You know. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Like I, I think that's what it is. Also, is that when you're it's does it do a thing what i remember about miss dalloway is that when she enters another character's head also that suddenly you're you're in first person in that character's head like you might get you might start to get an eye but it's not the eye that you had before Mm. like and i think that makes a big difference on just delivery rather than everything being in this like very consistent third like they do in dune and, and then just suddenly you get flashes of characters thoughts every once in a while yeah, in Dune, it's, like, really set aside as, like, it's italics, it's attributed mm-hmm. to that specific character. Whereas Virginia mm-hmm. Woolf, like, it's really free-floaty, like, it's not, yeah. like, it's the narration takes the voice of the character who's had to run for a second. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's the better way to do it, and I think... Um, if you want to move to writing exercise, unless there's anything else you'd like to say about Dune, um, um, or Virginia no, Wolf. I've got a lot to say about yeah. Orlando one day though. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you want to get into it now? Did you know that Gabriel Garcia Marquez, who mm. is like father of, um, magical realism, Latin yeah. American logical realism, Gabriel Garcia Marquez actually attributed, um, magical realism, like a lot of his interest in magical hmm. realism to Virginia Woolf. Um, oh, cool. So in a 1950 interview with a literary critic, he brought up Orlando. Um, Orlando was actually really popular in a lot of Latin America because it was translated hmm. to Spanish by um, Jorge Luis Borges. Oh, really? Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah, it was translated to Spanish, Spanish by Borges, and it was really popular in a lot of Latin It sold really well in, in Latin America. So Gabriel Garcia Marquez read it, and he then got into Mrs. Dalloway and other Virginia Woolf work, and he said that he would be a different author than I am today if I had not read Mrs. Dalloway. Mm. It transformed his sense of time, which is time is the big factor that, like, Mm. makes 100 Years of Solitude so fascinating. Yeah. Um, So just, like, a really... I think it's a delightful literary history, like that two greats yeah. from really different backgrounds who were like different eras, complete talked about in completely different ways, like mm-hmm. that they have so much respect for each other. Or yeah, rather that, just that link. Yeah. One has yeah. respect for the other. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think it's a really interesting thing. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh yeah. We we should do some Virginia Woolf for this podcast at some point because well, she's I, great. I'll yeah. have to go find my copy of Orlando. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, yeah, for as far as writing exercise goes, um, what I would say is to, you know, as we've just suggested, is maybe we should take more from Virginia Woolf than from uh, Herbert um, in this scenario, is to have, to not do what Herbert does and to, like, win writing interiority even in third person, if you're choosing to do a limited third or something like that, or trying to do something stranger where you are jumping between multiple characters' heads, um, just make, just finding ways to kind of nuance that voice inside each head and have them have, you know, actual 
characteristic within the scene. Like, have their thoughts not just be an extension of the dialogue, essentially, but rather be, if you're going to have interiority, have it be its own space. Yeah. Ben, what, are you, what do you do to try to, like, distinguish your different characters' voices more? Mm-hmm. Um, for me, a big part of that is, like, varying sentence length. It is really huge on that, just like understanding if someone speaks choppily or quickly, or if they're, if, they're, if their thoughts are racing kind of thing, or if they're in a more meditative state, trying to have something more languid and flowing, or, or something with greater like space between the breaths sort of thing. Um, just stuff like that in actual like writing-wise is definitely how I think about differentiating it. How, how about you? Um, I think it's important that like different characters should have different takes on the same facts. Mm. Like, two characters of mine, I want them to be able to look at the same scene and have, you know, a different thing that they focus on. Um, yeah. I think my trick is to have different characters notice different things about a scene. Mm -hmm. Which I've mm -hmm. found is true in real life, you know, I'll be at... Mm -hmm. I'll be at a house party or I'll be out to dinner with, 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 with friends and what I notice about my, how my friends tells the story will be totally different than what my partner notices about because we mm -hmm. have different trainings, different backgrounds, different interests. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 So like, I think that's one thing that I was confused reading this random excerpt from the middle of Dune was like, mm -hmm. they they just all kind of think the same. <laughs> like, they notice yeah. the same things about the same scene. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they 100% they do. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. But yeah. Thanks for reading over that with me. It's, an, it's a very interesting book. Uh, it has a lot of really ravenous fans. And as someone that enjoyed it, I don't really understand why people get so ravenous about this book. Like, to me, that it, it feels like maybe they think it's the only book that's done this kind of quasi-mystical science fiction thing, and it's just like, it's not. Like, you know, that, that's not the most uncommon thing in the world by any means. Hmm. Um, but it, it's just, it's very of its time, and, and it's very much just, you know, a, like, a, a weird cultural moment. I don't know why it's as large as it is, but yeah, it, it was fun. I'm happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's all. That's all I need. <laughs> because, because I, I completely agree with your take on it. Like one hundred percent, you are correct. Like, yeah. I, mean, I love a fast-paced sci-fi fantasy story. I really do. Um, but I, when I tried to listen to the audiobook. I just truly felt like, what is, where is the story here? Like, so much, it's just a bunch of stuff happening is how I felt yeah. about it at the time. That's, it's really, like I said, having seen the movie and being able to imagine, like, actors' faces and locations and how stuff looked in the movie, it did a big service to the book. Um, <laughs> that did a big service to how I was able to visualize the book. And also allowed me to enjoy the parts that I thought were more interesting in the novel that, you know, because like, I don't want to put that down that I thought, I think that there are things in this novel that he does succeed at doing. They just aren't the majority of the novel by any means. <laughs> cool, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but on reading terms or enjoying things, is there anything that you want to recommend to the audience oh, before yeah. we What's head out? recommendation of the week? Um, yeah. Will you go first, Ben? What's your recommendation of the week? My recommendation of the week is a completely different science fiction novel. Um, I started reading Flow My Tears, The Policeman Said by Philip K. Dick. Um, I don't know if you've any, ever read any Philip K. Dick, but um, yeah, you know, for I've those unfamiliar... I've never his name, and I feel like I would remember that one. <laughs> oh, um, he did Android, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, the movie, the book that Blade Runner is based off of. Yeah, that's his big claim to fame. Right. Yeah, like... Yeah, this is kind of like a medium-level work. He wrote a whole bunch. Um, it does a lot of the things that I think Dick does really well, of it being this very paranoid character in a world that's very hostile to him. Um, and he's uh, and because of his paranoia, is unsure if that hostility is real or not at times. Like, And it's kind of about a man that 
who's a guy who's like a famous TV personality, basically think of Jimmy Kimmel, but one day he wakes up and no one remembers who he is anymore. Like no one has any idea who he is. His identity papers don't mean anything anymore. And he suddenly has to find his way back into the world after this has occurred. And it's, it's a very interesting read. And Philip K. Dick actually is a good and compelling writer who knows how to make a sentence sound good. So, yeah. I do like a writer who knows how to make a sentence go bang. Yeah. I do appreciate that. Um, well, my recommendation of the week then, I for anyone who hasn't read it before, Gabriel Garcia Marquez's 100 Years of Solitude. <laughs> Masterful. Masterful. Mm -hmm. He wrote mm -hmm. it in Spanish. Um, it was translated to English. I have forgotten the main translator, but I do remember the story of Gabriel Garcia Marquez saying to his English translator, you have written uh, a novel, a, a better novel than mine, is what he, what he said at the time. I'm sure it was just flattery. I'm just meaning to say the English translation also definitely go. has got the, the, author, the original author's full-throated endorsement. Um, yeah, if you haven't read it, 100 Years of Solitude is... Uh, Heck of a time. Heck of a time on a interesting things happen level, interesting mm -hmm. on a sentence level, um, mm -hmm. superstitious stuff happens, all of the above. Yeah. Really, really great uh, recounting of history as well. A really great novel of it. That's an examination of how history operates. Um, yes. like, really, really good. Yeah. Uh, are you rereading it now? Or are you reading it for the first time? Or No, I've I read it a couple of times. Uh, just okay. Now oh, I'm yeah. thinking about it. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. brought up. Just a great recommendation <laughs> then. Yeah. <laughs> just now I'm thinking about it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fantastic book. I should reread that. That's really good. Yeah. But yeah. I think I might, I might pick her up. I might give her another peruse. Oh, I am. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The moment when the the scene uh, where Makondo just forgets words, yeah. Do you remember that one where like yeah. the whole town gets sick and they just forget? Yeah, like they, they lose access to language. Yeah. Yeah, just amazingly surreal thing inside of a really otherwise really grounded. Like there's mm -hmm. a family and they're you know like stuff is happening to the family and it's all like very mm -hmm. tangible and then like surreal things happen to them too and yeah. I just find it a delightful combination. <laughs> Especially because it's just treated so the same. Like, it's still just, like, another thing that's happening. Like, it's it's so well presented in that book. I, I love it. Yeah. yeah. The realism part of the magical realism. Where like, some yeah. magic happens, but it's presented as realistically as anything else. Yeah, everyone just reacts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 now I'm thinking about it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, thank you, Emily. This was a very fun episode. I had a really good time. It's so good see you again welcome back to the good writing podcast everybody if you would yeah. like to uh flame us for our consistent <laughs> our consistent and frequent <laughs> publishing schedule you can find us on twitter at good writing pod and if you want to send us um a loving email encouraging us to continue mm -hmm. to be so consistent and frequent in our publishing. Mm -hmm. Or we have an email address at goodwritingpodcast at gmail.com. And if you're a Dune nerd that wants to complain about anything we said, forget those two addresses. You never heard them. Because <laughs> 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 do, we do not need that in our inbox, Dune nerds. I know you're out there. <laughs> it would just be inscrutable to me. I don't know any of this stuff. And I, I haven't seen the movie, but it's not because I was like intentionally avoiding it. I just like, I think mm. it came out during the pandemic and I was like iffy on yeah. how comfortable yeah. with crowds I felt. And then I, and then one of my friends was like, it's a, it's an event of the year. You can't watch it at home. Don't it's stream a good it on your computer. And I was like, well, then I'm not seeing it. Stream it on your computer. <laughs> stream it on your computer. It's, it's fun. It's a cool movie. It's three hours long, but you can split it in two pretty easily. Yeah. Uh, intermission. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Well, thanks, everybody. Bye, everybody. Peace be with you.